I'm Kitty Kinnon with another Sound Palette segment. In the spotlight today, Chidi Kumar. I was endeared to Chidi the minute we started talking. I don't know. I, I think it's a laugh. And of course, there's her twins, music and food. She never goes anywhere without them. Chidi and her very talented husband and bandmate, Paul Seiler, navigate the three floors of businesses they co-own on Martin Street in downtown Raleigh. The bar downstairs, Neptune's Parlor, and the music venue upstairs, King's. In addition, they both still play in the band Birds of Avalon together and have recently released a new record. Wears me out thinking about all they do. Chidi also finds herself a semi-finalist in the prestigious James Beard Awards for Best Chef in the Southeast. We know about your deep connection between music and food, which, you know, for me is like nirvana. Has it always been that way for you? Yeah, I, you know, I think back on my first memories and they're equally like deeply resonant with food, you know, being in the kitchen with my grandmother when we were in India and then like listening to ABBA and like my dad somehow got a deep purple record. In oh my India. God. And, um, you know, I just remember like spending weekend mornings listening to music in India. You know, there's like such a finite line for me. Like we moved when I was eight and a half. So all of the memories in India are like uh, in a very special book kind of in my brain. And food and music are definitely like equally represented. So speaking of that, what is your first food memory? Mm, I remember my grandmother used to make this thing called rubberty and it's like basically boiled milk down till it's super concentrated and the scraping at the bottom of the pot if you do it right isn't burnt but it's super caramelized and she just would scrape the pot and put a little sugar on it and stick it in my mouth <laughs> oh it still brings tears to my eyes it's so delicious and um yeah that's definitely my first thing like i could always tell when she was gonna make it oh that's so great gosh <laughs> i want to taste that right now i know it's so good it's a little bit like uh dulce de leche you know but it's it's so rustic it's like the milk breaks and the milk that we used to get in india was you know raw so it just was super rustic <laughs> it was just so good as you're speaking about being in the kitchen to grandmother and your family and what you were listening to abba and tea purple all of a sudden i understand your diverse <laughs> playlist is coming to life Rick. People said, what kind of music do you listen to? I think that's like such a ridiculous question. Oh, well, you, you asked me what question I hate. I hate that. I yeah. have a favorite band. Like, what's your favorite guitar player? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if they're good, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I got you on that. And it makes me think about your playlist, a garland that is all over the place, which makes it so impressive. Because you know how you'll go somewhere and this playlist is happening and it's not at all meshing with yeah. the energy or what you're eating or anything else. I think that everything is pretty deliberate with you, and I keep thinking planned spontaneity. Yes, exactly. That's it. I mean, it's planned spontaneity, uh, slow execution, fast preparation. You know, these are like uh, Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt have that deck of cards called Oblique Strategy. I think those are actual cards <laughs> that you can pull. <laughs> they are, that you can buy, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not that difficult to pay attention to the details. It all adds up and it makes life a little bit more difficult, but it's so much more rewarding when everything is sort of in harmony. And uh, as 
you go to a restaurant, that's what you're paying for is just that feeling of, I don't know, it's, it's a little subtle. Like you can relax because everything just seems like it goes together. Yeah, and that's, that's what our goal is. Yeah, and you do manage to juggle that pretty well, Chidi. Oh, thank you. That's a high praise. So you have Garland, and you have Kings, which just rocks the planet, and then you have <laughs> Neptune's Parlor. How did each one of those unfold? I mean, Kings came first. Kings was downtown, opened in 1999, next to where Pools is. There was a building that was Kings, and I wasn't an official partner. It was my husband, Paul, and two other friends. And Kings did, like, cool stuff before. There were a lot of businesses downtown that were locally owned, and there weren't that many venues for, you know, people who were kind of doing indie rock stuff to play in town. And Paul and I were playing music, so were the other partners. He and I toured a lot during that time. We were gone probably eight months out of the year total. And we'd just come home and just want, like, a place that, that felt like ours and a place that felt like some of the places that we played in other cities. Anyway, we weren't making any money at it. We decided, and I wanted to do something with food. We found this place, and it was kind of already built out with the concepts that we had in mind. But it's kind of a huge undertaking, and we opened Neptunes and Kings first, and those definitely, like, are in tandem. When Garland opened, it evolved into this, it kind of had a life of its own, and you kind of have to let that happen, you know? And I think that our goal for the next year is to make it be more symbiotic and that's what we've been really focusing our attention on now that Garland's almost four years old which is crazy but it just it took two and a half years of just unbelievable work and attention to just be there all the time and I couldn't even think about the other two businesses for that time and now it's um, I feel like it can step back a little bit and fine-tune the details in the other two spots and kind of make it all work together. Were you surprised at the James Beard nomination? Because here you are, you're a musician first and then a chef and you're a self-taught chef. Yes, I was completely just blindsided. I had really no reason to expect it at all. No warning. I, I honestly wasn't even thinking about it. I mean, obviously, I was aware of the awards, and I went to the ceremony as a friend of Ashley's last year. And, that would be Ashley Christensen. You know, it was so inspiring, and it made me understand, like, how much there is to do in this world of hospitality and cooking. And yeah, actually one of our food suppliers sent me a link that morning and I was like, I'm busy right now, leave me alone. <laughs> and he didn't say anything, he just sent me the link and I was like, why is he doing that? And I just scrolled down and I really, I just lost it. <laughs> I just had no idea that that was about to happen. I can't even imagine how exciting that had to be. But also, it had to have made a difference, Chidi. I'm cooking, I'm playing music, then... James Beard? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, uh, it, it kind of changed everything in sort of a deep, subtle way. It kind of started to really take it seriously. And not that I wasn't taking it seriously before, but, it, you know, that little bit of validation really makes you feel like, okay, I don't have to second-guess everything. I can, you know, I'll still second-guess most things, but, like, maybe there's some fundamental thing that's okay, you know. Maybe next on your list needs to be a book about relationships, because how in the hell do you do that working with someone for as long as you do playing in a band you know, owning a restaurant that's that's impressive 
Well, uh, it's because Paul is the nicest person I've ever met. We're just great friends, and it's because his heart is just golden and, you know, has been really supportive, and we work well together, and we travel well together, and traveling as a touring bandmate isn't easy. You don't have any privacy. There's no room for drama, and we've always been, you know, respectful of our other bandmates and never put our relationship in the middle of it. So we've we've always kind of had this, like, parallel uh, relationship with our romantic side and it's been a huge challenge and I'm not going to say it's been easy the whole time but uh, you just work through it and that's what makes it worth it you know did I ask you what was the first record or music you ever purchased ever purchased uh was it Deep Purple or was it ABBA? <laughs> you already had those. Wait, well, sorry. Well, I mean, I was, I was so young then. I don't think I ever bought a record in India. When we moved to America, I think I bought Candio by the cards. <laughs> but my dad, you know, my parents had lived in, in America before they moved back. So I was actually born in Pittsburgh, and I was six months old when we moved back. And my dad had recorded a bunch of stuff on reel-to-reel tapes <laughs> and took them back because, you know, there wasn't really the technology in India pretty backwards so i learned how to thread it reel to reel like when i was five years old <laughs> gosh yeah that's how i used to do my first radio shows my specials was totally doing that yeah. with the razor blade and the yeah yeah, yeah i love that kind of editing i've just we had carts when i worked at a radio station in oh gosh college <laughs> <laughs> i think i made a lamp out of carts those oh, carts wow. or something yeah cool. some people don't know what a cart is i'll explain it later but let me ask you this how is the process of creating a dish similar to writing a song um or is it well there there's definitely some similarities well okay i can maybe break it down in this way you get an idea or you have an ingredient right so either you like have a beat or a riff that you love or you have you know some awesome something that's in season right now and then you start thinking about like uh the influences that would work with that ingredient or that beat so like, oh, this reminds me of wire, this reminds me of can, or like, this would be really great with Malaysian spices or Bengali spices. And you just kind of work through that. So that part's kind of fun and easy. And then you have to like really slog it out. And that's the hard part. You know, you, you got to demo it. You got to do it over and over again. You have to arrange it. Sometimes it's the thing that's in your head doesn't come out good. It tastes off balance or you know it's ugly or something so you go through this whole process and and eventually you know you either abandon it or you finish it and you're like okay with it you know so there's a it's the same sort of mental roller coaster where hey i'm inspired um i'm gonna do this and then like oh this sucks maybe yeah. this suck you know <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like okay it's actually all right <laughs> yeah and i can totally see that happening i can understand you're in the midst of it yeah absolutely a little bit more bass over here or do you know it needs something a little more savory or it could parallel it, it really does and I think it's you know more about like what happens in your head when you're doing it and to me the the fun part or the interesting parallels between food and music as I continue to keep doing both of them is really that like becoming healthier <laughs> When you're in your head and you're trying to make it happen and not being afraid to, like, uh, keep it simple or not being afraid to take chances on doing something you've never done before. Just thinking about all of the, the realities of it without it becoming a self-judging kind of thing, <laughs> which is which is really difficult sometimes when you're early on in doing something. You just 
you're, you don't have the confidence that you need to make it uh, not painful. <laughs> Let's talk about your band, Birds of Avalon. I know we have a mutual friend in common, Mitch Easter. Oh, God, he is a remarkable person, and his studio has been sort of our anchor as Birds of Avalon pretty much the whole time. We've always recorded there and or he's helped us in some way with every album we've ever done. And I actually worked there as an assistant engineer for a brief time before we opened this business. We recorded together with Birds of Avalon and he really was very encouraging about, you know, what he thought were my abilities as an engineer. And then, you know, he was like, hey, why don't you come help me on this other session? And so. Oh, he does have a beautiful ear, as do you in his studio it's remarkable. Okay, Chidi, for those who haven't been around for a while, give them a little backstory on your band, Birds of Avalon. So we got together in like 2005, oh God, um, and uh, our lineup was different then, our sound was different. Uh, Paul and I were really into like Den Lizzy when we started and really obsessed with guitar harmonies and that was sort of like a big anchor for our sound. And then as time evolved, our tastes changed and, well, I mean, I still love Ben Lizzie, but we just started, like, doing other stuff. Our recording process became a little bit more experimental. And there was one record that we, you know, because of record company, like, nightmare business stuff, we had to turn in a record in a real hurry. And so I borrowed, speaking of reel-to-reels, I borrowed a 3M 2-inch tape machine 16-track from Mitch, put it in the van, brought it to our basement, and King's mixing board from the sound booth. And uh, we just, we did a record in the house. And, you know, because of all of those limitations, there were ways that we chose to write that record that were really off the cuff and very spontaneous. And it was like kind of opened up an idea, a different way of writing things that was less traditional. I just really started heavily getting into Brian Eno and David Bowie and those David uh, Bowie records that were recorded in Berlin. And they were just a little bit more artistic in their approach, and they still are pop albums, but they would just like cut lyrics up and like paste them randomly and like let the spontaneity become really an essential part of the, not only the process, but the actual sound of it. And um, so we just kind of started taking it from there. And then and when we opened these places, we were so busy, we would just like jam out, record those things and cut them up and like turn them into songs. And so that's why this record has taken so long <laughs> to finish because we were writing in like really short spurts and we went and did like a two day completely open session with no songs and just recorded some sounds and beats and whatever. And that became sort of the, the brain of the information that supplied the rest of the album. So Operators Midnight. Yeah, yes. And that came from... God, David, our bass player, had a longer title, and I can't remember where he got it from. Really good with words, and it was like a, a longer title, but it was like Operator's Midnight. That just was so descriptive of how this whole thing happened, and it took us about five years to finish it. And in the meantime, we've acquired Missy Things on Synth Keys, and Jason became our second drummer a couple of years ago as well. So the band's pretty different, and I think we're just looking forward to like doing the sound now, you know. Okay, so you have a new album out. Let's think about this. How do you tour with that? I know. I mean, we, we just came back. Uh, we did uh, six shows with our friends Moon Duo. We were on tour last week and did like a little southeast run. And man, we all really miss doing that a lot. But, you know, everybody is older now and we all have either businesses or grad school or a kid or 
a real job or whatever. We're just going to have to do it as we can and just focus on places that we want to go. And it's not the way we've always played music. Paul and I has always been like, you know, you write the songs, record the album, you go on tour, you come back and you do it again, you know. But now it's it's more liberating in a way because you don't have to worry about replicating it exactly the way it is on the album. I would think, too, that, that there's just this influx of energy that you are able to go and do some shows and you come back and, and do everything you're doing in between. You know, it's almost like you get a chance to really look forward to doing each and every element. It's really nice to have, it's not just a distraction, but like something else that really can consume you and take you away from the other thing that's always consuming you, you know. Um, I'd love to have a little bit more of the music in my life, but that's just not the way these kind of businesses work, so. (laughs) Yeah, but there's music all around you all the time, so that's, that's a good part about it. All right, so I think this is probably the easiest, or it could be the most difficult task you've encountered, Jeannie, to <laughs> pair a signature dish with a piece of music. It was really challenging. <laughs> you know, especially now that we've talked about it, I'm really glad that I chose uh, Brian Eno's song called St. Elmo's Fire that's on Another Green World, and this song is very emotional. Um, has a guitar solo by Robert Fripp that, like, I listened to so much when when we first opened, and I was just really terrified. And I'm working really like 90 to 100 hours a week, and I didn't really have the best support system. And I spent a lot of time in the kitchen alone, and I spent a lot of time worrying about things before the restaurant opened. And the song just made me really miss playing music so much. You know, <laughs> sorry. And the words were so relevant before we opened because we had toured so much. We were tired from doing that. And then there was this, like, big, vast opportunity, which really had no shape. And the only things that I had coming into this restaurant were the recipes that I had from my mother. And um, I'm emotional because she passed away last year. Oh, Chidi. I, I need a minute. I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. I, I've been where you are, so I know exactly. It was just really sudden, and, you know, it, it comes and goes in waves. I lost my mom when I was 19, so. Oh, God. It's just you can never get over it. It never ends. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I had a really fundamental knowledge of the things that I felt so strongly about that my mom had taught me how to do. And I knew how to cook a whole lot of other stuff, and I had taught myself a bunch of things. But the things that, you know, really resonated were her chutneys. She taught me how to make yogurt, and that became sort of the backbone of what I did. And I just got it in my head that I wanted to have a tandoor oven (laughs) in the kitchen and cook in this really rustic sort of way. And so the marinade that she always had made for us on special occasions we grill out (laughs) Uh, chicken was the marinade that we use to this day for our tandoori style chicken and yeah I learned a lot by having that tandoor oven and it was a big pit of fire and I stuck my hand in that thing hundreds and hundreds of times (laughs) realize how hard it is to staff that station (laughs) no you're not working saute you're working this clay oven thing that's vertical and you have to stick your hand in there and slap this bread on the side of it you're cool with that right (laughs) where are you going (laughs) but yeah I mean the song just has like so much emotion in its short little verse chorus arrangement and that guitar solo is just 
speaks volumes, and it just always means so much to me when it comes on.